Emergency, the exits are here, 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 anywhere. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We name is Hades, Lord of the Dead. Hi, how you doing? We dance, we kiss, we schmooze, we carry on, we go home happy. What do you say? Come on. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Welcome to the Disney Guys Uncensored. This is episode 171, recorded on Monday, March 13th. That is Tim. I am Bub. Guy is off on a pro wrestling assignment tonight. He will not be joining us. But on tonight's episode, Tim and myself are going to delve back to, or, or shall I say, regress back to our negative selves and talk about nine of the biggest flops or misses in Disney Parks history because even with their 100-year track record of excellence, Disney isn't batting a 1,000. Tim, that's right, a baseball reference. Baseball's right around the corner. I don't have high hopes for the Red Sox this year, so I'm looking forward to a summer of just nothingness in New England because the Patriots suck. The Bruins might be okay until, you know, the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I hope the Celtics lose in the first round because I hate their 3 and D philosophy. Tim, let's get right into it. News of the week, buddy. What are we doing? I just got to say, I uh, I gave up on the Red Sox about three years ago. I've been a Padres fan ever since. And it's really, really gotten big returns in the last three years. Padres, fun team, great, great management, great baseball moves. Really a perfect uh, example of how you run a mid-market team in modern baseball. Uh, that's a fantastic trade-up, Tim. Good for you. Yeah, good yeah. for you. That's that's a great good great aesthetics too to the hats and stuff. So oh, excellent. Nice, nice gear upgrade. Um, also, folks, just want to apologize for my voice. I was a little under the weather for the last couple of days, so got a little cold. We're getting over. Uh, last night was the Oscars, Bob. Uh, Disney had a ton of nominations, as they always do, and pretty bad year especially compared to like last year where i feel like they raked them in uh there are only two wins this year black panther for hot costume designer uh ruth e carter takes home her second oscar the first black woman in history to win two oscars crazy that it took this long for a black woman to win two oscars uh and then to the surprise of probably no one avatar way of water won best visual effects um i think that was one that was kind of a lock from the the point of nominations. And according to a friend of the show and um, Disney guys, uncensored hall of famer, Chris Lucas, uh, Disney is the only major studio left that has never won best picture, which uh, that came up on the show last time we recorded, we were talking about Mary Poppins losing it um, in the year that it had the most nominations of any film. So uh, also, um, Angela Bassett did not uh, did not get the uh, best supporting actress slash kind of uh, de facto lifetime achievement role for her her stellar stellar performance that we both really felt was the heart of uh, the most recent Black Panther film. It instead, went to Jamie Lee Curtis, another at this point grand dom of Hollywood, in, in another pseudo lifetime achievement award uh, for her role in every everything everywhere all at once, which is now the most awarded film in history by basically a factor of two. Uh, just incredible what that film that almost didn't get made 
has done and for a film that came out pretty early in the year and uh usually films like that end up getting lost in the shuffle because there's there's a recency bias uh, and that film crushed it not a disney film not a universal film the two things we cover but definitely a film we're seeing a really really fun creative film um that I think really deserves the accolades it, it got. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the show. I I, I think Tar probably should have won Best Picture. I, I think it was easily the, the best movie I saw this year. Um, and, and it was a shame that Banshees of Inishern didn't win anything. Another just stellar movie this year. Yeah, Tim, that was the one that I was looking at. And I haven't seen The Whale yet, but Brendan Fraser, good on him for winning that. I <sighs> It's so hard for me because when you tell me, oh, last night was the Oscars, last night to me was the season finale of The Last of Us. So I honestly didn't turn the Oscars on for the first time in what I will say to him is probably a solid 10 years. Like I'm usually one of those people that will lock, stock and barrel, be in on it, try to catch as many of the movies as I can. Uh, I didn't see a ton of them this year. Obviously, I saw Top Gun, saw Avatar, saw Black Panther. Uh, saw Banshees of Inner Sharon, which I, I thought was was a magnificent. Uh, Brendan Gleeson and, and Colin Farrell, uh, good lord, fantastic. And The Whale's on my list to see. Um, I, I guess I'm going to have to go check out this everything, uh, everywhere, all at once. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, you've told me about it a couple times. That it was really good. So I'll, Yeah, I'm shocked I, you haven't seen have that to. one. Super right. fun film. And you got Tar. It's a heavy one. It, yep. it, it, it's kind of a more of an art film, a little bit confusing. There's a a lot of interpretations on on what actually happened and what the movie's actually about, mm-hmm. but really just a masterful piece of uh, piece of filmmaking. I will tell you one that I recently came across. I don't know if it's on streaming now or what, but women talking looks really really well done too. Uh, probably just I, I'd have to check them out though, Tim. Again, like I said, it, not a huge year for me in movies, but we'll see what happens. Well, I, I, I'm happy for the winners, I guess. Michelle Yeoh, a great actress, so her winning Best Actress I have no problem with, so I'm looking forward to the next year of movies. I was stunned when we read the Chris Lucas Nugget, though. I was surprised. That yeah, I was shocked. Best picture. Uh, but if anybody knows, it's definitely Chris Lucas, excellent Disney historian and uh, historian of all things entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, now onto the theme park news, kind of the what we normally do on this po- podcast, rather than wax poetic on uh on Oscar films, uh, Universal kind of made an announcement out of nowhere, middle of last week, that they're ending its cinematic celebration nighttime spectacular. This, if you don't know, is a really cool projection show that utilizes the uh, water projection technology that they had put in a number of years ago for uh, Halloween Horror Nights, so that most nights at uh, Universal, they have a, a projection show that highlights a lot of the biggest universal franchises that are featured in that park, be it the Minions, uh, Harry Potter, Transformers, the Mummy, uh, the classic monsters, all that stuff. And kind of unceremoniously, they're like, yeah, last night was the last one. So they didn't do the Disney thing where they have, this is the last time we're gonna do it and do the live stream of it. And they say that it will be replaced in the future, no time frame, uh, no reason given for its closure. Uh, kind of a really strange move on Universal's part to just cancel their nighttime spectacular out of nowhere. And um, doesn't seem like they really have any solid uh, replacement lined up at this time that they're ready to publicly talk about. And I was actually proud of them for just saying, hey, it's over. I mean, that's, that's a breath of fresh air in the theme park industry. Yeah, we're going to get to another nighttime spectacular that they really draw, drew out um, Disney that uh, they acted like was some big beloved thing. And 
Definitely was not. Um, South by Southwest was this past week. Um, it's kind of evolved from a music fact festival into a technology showcase and an independent film festival that really kind of set the pace, especially the technology side for entertainment technology in the upcoming year and years. Uh, WDI was there to show off some innovations that we've already seen, the lightsabers that are used on Galactic Star Cruiser, uh, but also some completely new stuff. And the two big highlights from their presentation, super, super cool. A Judy Hopps animatronic, although not officially, it was very clearly Judy Hopps without the animatronic skin. The face was the metal face sculpt was could not have been anything other than Judy Hopps. Zootopia Land opens in Shanghai in the next couple of months. But uh, this animatronic was truly, truly incredible. It climbed out of the crate it was in itself. It was fully self-powered, fully self-driven, no wires, no pneumatic hoses, on rollerblades. Uh, it rollerbladed around the stage. Uh, the big innovation with this is, though, that it can not only, if it falls down, get up on its own and continue rollerblading, uh, or walking if, if, if it's not the rollerblading version, uh, it can also do somersaults and flips and then continue back to walking or rollerblading. Uh, huge, huge advancement. Uh, I thought that the flying Spider-Man animatronic that's heavily, heavily featured at uh, Avengers Campus in Paris and uh, Disney's California Adventure was kind of the pinnacle of what we were going to get from uh, these new animatronics for a while, but this thing just blows it out of the water. Um, although, if you've seen the movie Megan, um, the 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 robot that gets up and keeps moving towards you after it falls down has a has a bit of a scarier connotation after that surprise hit of a movie. Um, I definitely saw a lot of people on Instagram and Twitter memeing the uh, new animatronic as as the real life Megan. Uh, and then the other neat technology they showed off was a lantern, and contained within was a holographic Tinkerbell that could that seemingly interacted with uh, Josh tomorrow and spoke back and stuff. Wouldn't be surprised if this is going to be in integrated this technology into part of a stage show, but it would be really neat. I don't know what was actually powering it. No, he picked up the lantern. So I suspect there may be like a base that's doing the processing and has the projectors in and stuff. But if they could work this into some kind of like a pseudo magic shot where instead of, you know, digitally superimposing the object you hold for photo pass, but you know, you set up this podium someplace in the park and, uh, you know, people could take, a, you know, get cool pictures taken with this Tinkerbell and also interact with the Tinkerbell. I think that would be pretty neat. Wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened. Um, moving on, we uh, got the announcement. I guess we kind of already knew there was going to be a new quick service location um, coinciding with the opening of Tron. But we got the uh, menu and the name. It's going to be called Energy Bites, spelled B-Y-T-E-S. It's coming to Tomorrowland. It's over in that uh, big footprint that Tron occupies. Uh, no opening date given, but coming soon. Tron opens in two weeks. I kind of think they would have just said if it was going to open with Tron. But I, I bet you it'll be open by the end of April. Really interesting menu. Another, uh, another Disney Parks food location that... Uh, Bub will not probably want to eat anything on the menu. Uh, the the morning stuff, you know, might be up Bub's alley with some like chocolate donut holes mm -hmm. with like a mocha sauce and like some crisp chocolate pearls on top and, uh, and a signature cold brew coffee with like a mocha foam. But once we get to the uh, the daytime eats, it was um, 
some some buffalo chicken shumai dumplings with blue cheese powder and then a or a beef and broccoli shumai dumpling with um a, a broccoli broth and very interesting stuff it was a uh, very molecular gastronomy focused uh the dessert is uh like a ice cream mochi thing with cheesecake foam and then the signature beverage was a yuzu ginger watermelon cooler so uh disney definitely going for a more elevated kind of almost um pandora the kind of food they brought to pandora for this uh new food place over by tron sound good garbage tim that's gonna be pretzels and chicken fingers in no time because that is not going to sell in that location. I'm excited for it, though. Good. I think no, we I, need more healthy options. I, I agree. Uh, the Magic Kingdom, all the food does seem to regress back to that hot dogs, chicken fingers, yep, burgers mean within a, a year or two. Um, Maybe some shitty pizza, Tim. Because nothing yeah. says Magic Kingdom like that really undercooked cheese slice, slice of cheese pizza. So, Or or the personal size pizza with the, the crust is fully, uh, you know... <laughs> 70% of the surface area. It's terrible. Uh, probably the biggest story of the last two weeks since we uh, talked to you guys last. Bruce Vaughn is returning to co-lead WDI. Um, and this might just sound like more executive changeover talk. Uh, if you don't follow this stuff as obsessively as as us Disney guys do. But this this is huge. Um Bob, do you want to explain to everybody who Bruce Vaughn is and what this potentially means for uh, WDI going forward so in I the think, uh, medium and long term? I think the big thing with Bruce Vaughn is that he's a creative type instead of a quote-unquote uh, bean counter. I will tell you, though, Tim, don't you dare discount this because this is one of those names that we had talked about as a potential replacement for Bob Iger. And I'm not saying he is going to be the replacement for Bob Iger, but him and Tom Staggs left the company a little while back to form that. They became, uh, he went to Airbnb, Tom Staggs went over to uh, Lightstream, whatever it was, some random uh, technology company. Very, very exciting for him. He left the company in 2016. Um, He's a big deal coming back. This is the equivalent of, I don't want to say getting like a Marty Sklar type or a or a Walt type back, but he is such an innovator and a creative force that this is a can't miss. And the great thing is they are keeping Barbara Booza, Booza on as a kind of a co-lead to kind of handle the business side of it. This is, I'm going to tell you it's a home run for tomorrow to get him back. And whether it was Iger that got him back or tomorrow, whichever it was, uh, this guy's always been really like a solid number two or three to like Joe Rody in terms of creative minds and what he means to Imagineering. I think it's a slam dunk that he's coming back. I love the fact that he's coming back. It leads me to believe that something huge is going to happen in Animal Kingdom because that was he did do a lot of work on Animal Kingdom with Joe Rody. I'd be I'd be willing to bet not to say he's back just to do Dino Land. But I would say within five years, you'll have that expansion we talked about a few weeks ago of Animal Kingdom, whether it's Guy's radical redesign of the entryway or just 
kind of an expansion of Pandora and a, a redo of Dino Land to Zootopia or Coco, whatever it's going to be. I, I think this is a slam dunk return for them. And, and they're lucky. They're lucky that he was amiable to come back because he left when Chapek got the job. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it also, he, he had gone to Airbnb yep. um, to lead up a Creative Ventures um, office, and Airbnb has really fallen from where it was a couple right. years ago. I have not even heard an announcement of this this Creative Ventures thing. I think he was kind of sitting there doing nothing, and, and whatever project he was hired to run was not going to really turn out to be anything up to the the caliber of of, of creative work that this man does. Right. Um. I also agree that you know he could have been brought on to do the Dino Land retheme, but I also want to look in the kind of near midterm and say even if budgets are smaller, this is somebody who's going to do the best he can with what he has and steer that creative ship in in the right direction and in a good direction so you don't end up with some of the lackluster or, or stranger creative decisions that were made under the JPEG regime. And this is a this is a trusted lieutenant of, of, of Bob Iger and, mm-hmm. and Josh Shamaro as well. And, and a, a good steady hand to have on board for things that have already been announced, like the San Francisco uh, refurb that is getting underway any day now. Um, the finishing out Epcot, those sorts of things. This, this is a good guy to have overseeing that stuff to fruition in, in a way that it, it is going to have its hopefully live up to the potential that, that it could have. Right. I'll be interested to see because he did do some work when he first left. He was the CEO of Dreamscape uh, and Dreamscape Immersive, which is a virtual reality technologies company for like uh, location based entertainment. So he did go from a very creative place to a very creative place. And like you said, the weird Airbnb thing, the experimental creative product product team, I, doesn't make any sense to me. But alas, money talks, Tim. That we yeah, I mean, I think that that's before, 100%. So. It, it was at the time when Airbnb was at the height of their power. And, and people yep. were like, well, hotels are just going to go away. Everybody's just going to do this. And Airbnb had all the Silicon Valley money, and, and that's really yeah. pulled back. And actually, as of uh, this weekend, really, really pulled back. Yes. Uh, timely well, reference. Just so you guys know what Bruce One is, you got two decades of leadership in WDI, nine years as the creative chief, the cre- chief creative executive that he'll be coming back to do. So it's it's a great get for tomorrow. It's a great get for Iger. And again, interesting to see where it goes. I wouldn't be surprised to see him. Let's... Let's fantasy book it. Iger leaves. Demaro slides up. Does a guy like Bruce Vaughn slide into tomorrow's post and become the head of Parks Products and Services? Interesting thoughts all around. I- I'm excited for Bruce Vaughn to be back. He's one of those guys that outside of Joe Rody, I don't know there's a more exciting name for the creatives in the company to have back than, than Bruce Vaughn. I, and, and that's a good point, Bob. We have heard... A lot of reports from all sorts of sources that the creatives in the company ha- have not been happy for a very long time. That morale was at an all-time low at the end of the JPEG regime, and and it's gotten better now that Iger's back. But things were still not great, and people were, were maybe looking into other opportunities. So this also could just be, you know, to get a boss back in the driver's seat for for those folks uh, that they're going to trust and that they're going to want to follow into battle. 
So uh, from one Imagineer to one of the most legendary Imagineers and something of a sad announcement. Uh, as of recording, Raleigh Crump uh, passed away today. Uh, he was 93. You know, he, he passed away from old age. Um, but I mean, Raleigh Crump is, for all intents and purposes, the man who made Disneyland. Uh, he was always an iconoclast, an outsider in, in, in that nine old men era. He, he started out as an animator, but his sensibilities were so different than the rest of the very buttoned up, uh, you know, chain smoking, whiskey drinking, um, shirt and tie guys like Walt and Roy. Uh, he was uh, a very open about his marijuana use, even back in the 60s, very, very much uh, into, you know, tiki, Polynesian pop, art deco. Uh, he, you know, and, and he had never worked on theme parks or anything other than animation and comics. And, and, and he's the one they went to for first the world's fair and then Disneyland. And I mean, his resume speaks for himself. Uh, he, he's the man behind the design of it's a small world, the Tiki room, haunted mansion, the land and wonders of life. Uh, his aesthetic, it, it's very, very strong in all those rides. So that should give you a good idea of who he is. Uh, we're not going to dwell on this too much. I think next week we're going to be coming back with a, a retrospective on him because this is a man who who definitely we could easily do a, a whole episode on, on his work and his legacy. But uh, a, a big loss for the world and, and just truly, truly a, a great uh, creative at the Walt Disney Company and, and a legend of Imagineering um, who definitely was not involved in any of the things we're about to talk about now. Bob, how was that for a segue? It's one of the best we've ever done, Tim. One of the best we've ever done. Uh, Raleigh Crump, one of a kind, man. Pouring off my homie right there. One of a kind Imagineer, uh, artist, everything. I can't wait to do the retrospective on his career that it's a it's a murderer's row of attractions and events and things that he designed. It is the 1927 Yankees. That's what Raleigh Crump is. That that's that's what he did. That's what he worked on. So I'm excited to do that. It's another baseball reference, Tim. It must be spring. It must be springtime. So, Tim, why are we talking about flops? We've been so much better with our positivity and our outward thinking and our you know, we haven't been sunshine and rainbows, but we've at least been like partly cloudy and, you know, 65. Like it's been fun. We've been light and breezy. We're going back a little bit to, I don't want to say our negative risks. This isn't really an entirely negative episode as much as it's a retrospective look back at some of the flops in the Disney canon. And what was really the driver for this episode was, is the Galactic Star Cruiser on its way to becoming the singular most expensive flop in company history? I think yes. To a point, I think yes. So that's how we got to this point. It was originally on the list, then we took it off. I know this isn't... It's such an easy target. It's such low-hanging fruit to say that the Star Cruiser is a disappointment, to say that it didn't live up to the hype. Tim, are we wrong when we say this could be on the way to the most expensive flop because he's ever created? No, I, I mean, I, I think so as well. We've talked about it a lot as, as the Star Cruiser keeps coming up in news stories. The Disney press that kind of is out there for your clicks on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, that Star Cruiser, I think, is their single favorite target to uh, to doomsay about. But 
at first I wanted to brush it off as it was an easy thing to sensationalize and it was was low hanging fruit, as you said. But more and more, uh, you know, with them changing around the schedule and canceling voyages and rescheduling people to make sure the voyages they have are full, having press trips, you know, inviting influencers, you know, seemingly every month now just to try to get it out there on big Disney people's social media. Um, I mean, I have heard overwhelmingly positive things from people who have been on it. It's just so inaccessible for the vast, vast majority of people. And even if it's something that you can't afford and you would like to do, it's kind of like a one and done, which means that that that, that market's going to evaporate. So I just don't see how Disney writes this starship uh, before it goes down. And um, I I have a feeling that unlike all the things we're going to list here, which I think, yeah, to, to, to the one are all closed. I don't know if Disney can do that. I think they have to take a huge L if they if they if they just go all right after the 2026 season we're shutting it down it's a lot of red uh, ink that's a lot of time, red ink the uh the the fact that you need to whether they're it's at 25 capacity percent capacity or full you need to stock it with all these actors and waiters and bartenders who are also all actors and keep the upkeep and maintenance because god forbid that somebody pays to go on this thing and it's not up to the standards when it comes to repair and cleanliness and food quality and all that. Um, I, I just I just don't know how they keep it going without radically re-envisioning it. Um, and, and we've already talked about this. Um, I know right. Greg Cook has sent us a, sent us a great question, you know, a month or two ago that we, we kind of went into depth with our ideas of what could happen with it. But um, I'm not ready to add it to this list, but. If there was a watch list for this list, this oh, would yeah. be number one with a bullet on that list. Yeah, this would be this would be you know the endangered, you know critically endangered when you go to the zoo and you see this the species survival plans. They better figure this one out because that's going to be a lot of red ink if they do. But that's that's not even on the list because the list we decided we went back and forth and said you know what we're not we're going to do attractions we're going to leave movies out of this one today. That's a we're just going to do some attractions or some some places of enjoyment that made our list of things that are the worst flops in Disney history. I can think of no better way to start the official list, Tim, than rocket rods in Disneyland. Because if there is a way to take a beloved attraction and drive it into the ground on an insanely inoperable ride system, this is it. I don't know this is the worst attraction on this list, but this might be the most ill-conceived idea they've ever had. How did this go? Just so we're clear, Rocket Rods was a literal, it, it was a high-speed version of the People Mover or, you know, the Wedways High in the Sky, Tomorrowland Transit Authority in Disneyland. They decided, hey, and we all know the layout of this attraction. They said, hey, what's better than going seven miles an hour on a nice relaxing ride through Tomorrowland Let's try to go 35 on hairpin turns on a slot car. This isn't like Test Track, where you build up to that gradual moment. This was an instant start and stop. This was an atrocious design. How engineering ever said... And to be clear, Bob, 
they didn't change anything. No. What, what happened is, is at Disneyland, they just decided basically out of the blue to replace the people mover cars with a ride vehicle that they designed to run on the same track. No changes to the track. That exact same track that's over Tomorrowland in Disneyland to this day that goes so 35 good. miles an hour. And mind-boggling. I just it, don't understand how – and again, these are the same engineers that couldn't figure out the Yeti. I get it. But h- how are the engineers saying, yeah, this is going to work? We, it, it never worked, Tim. It was only operable for uh, 11 months or 12 months. Like what? It, it, and even in that time – like we said, it was borderline inoperable when it was open. I, I don't understand how this even exists and I'll go off the drawing board. Yeah, I, I understand. Mean, the, the enjoyable part of the people mover is, you know, kind of that slow, relaxing ride that's never going to have a weight. And right. you're going to, you know, kind of take a scenic tour of the, the, the town or city or convention center of tomorrow, depending on what, what version of Tomorrowland it is. Uh, for them to turn it into a thrill ride already kind of a a misguided idea. This was certainly at the height of the 90s when Disney felt like they were losing market share to Universal in in having thrilling attractions for teens specifically. Mm -hmm. But this was such an ill-conceived idea. And the reason that it only lasted 11 months was not because people didn't like it. They didn't like it, but they had to stop running it because these were concrete and rebar fairings that were put there in the the 50s and 60s and updated in the 70s and having much heavier cars going much, much faster, making hairpin turns on them were causing structural damage to the fairings that literally made it unsafe to operate. Like if if this had kept going for much past 11 months, there, there was going to be a disaster where the people mover tracks collapsed under the weight and forces of these cars. And and this, and this is, ride is a huge part of why Tomorrowland in Disneyland is the the mess it is today. Because you, you have this track still, can't be used for anything else, can't really be repaired um, and, and repurposed. And it, 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 I think it's, it's a huge part of why Tomorrowland and Disneyland really needs a, a, a down-to-the-studs refurb that it's really Disney has yeah. they kind of half announced a couple of times, but it's so hard to do because it's such a big section of the park that you have to shut down. Yeah, it's borderline Epcot-esque in terms of what they'd have to do to Tomorrowland to get it. But I, I just again we can we're gonna beat it over the head. I think this is gonna turn into one of these episodes, but how does the engineering team look at this and say, yeah, that'll work, guys. Let's let's do that. Like I, I just can't fathom any conversation happening between intelligent people saying this is the answer to people mover we're gonna make it a thrill ride and it uh, i i can't i'm already depressed and we're, we're one ride in to what they've done tim you knew we were going here right oh yeah you knew we were going here and if if you've listened to this show at any point in the last two years you know that there is one show that has been in my crosshairs and Tim's crosshairs for two totally different reasons. One because of Sightline and one because of what it replaced. Although I think Tim does agree with both of those. I'm more strictly on what it replaced. Uh, Tim is definitely the aesthetic Sightline guy in this one. Is there a bigger miss in the last decade of Disney 
than harmonious? Certainly not a more visible miss. That's Certainly fair. not a, a an unmissable miss that that if you miss, everybody's going to see it every hour of every day that that park is open. It, it blows my mind, Tim, that the barges, which I, I don't think ever really hit the height of what the initial design was, they became much boxier and, and much less elegant than they looked in the art. And the huge, art. huge right. sides on them for and, those LED and, screens. And we've talked about concept art being just that, concept art. We know that it's not the finished product, but what we got for these barges was atrocious. The weird mixes of the popular Disney songs they chose also didn't do it any favors. It was it, like a karaoke version of these songs. It was not There was great. also unpopular kind of weird songs deep that they cut, stuck in there, real yeah. deep cuts to... And I understand the motivation behind that was to kind of bring in more different stuff, maybe for different cultural identities or whatever, um, because it is in Epcot in World Showcase. But still, it's just not what people were looking for in an Epcot Nighttime Spectacular, especially when it replaced what most people consider the best theme park nighttime spectacular ever in Illuminations. I am those people. I am that person, Tim, because it... Here's the thing. If they had gone from Illuminations to a plus version of Epcot Forever, I would have been perfectly fine with that. I would have accepted it. The fact that we got the stopgap pretend show between the two, which was the far superior product. I remember the buildup. We were recording. The buildup for Harmonious was so high. It was Fever pitch. There's another baseball reference for you, folks. That's a Jimmy Fallon baseball movie reference. It was. Do you remember the episodes we recorded talking about how great Harmonious could be and what we expected it to be? And then that that dry cereal fart of a show debuts and it's just sight lines are gone. The music is terrible. The visuals are garbage. They spent millions of dollars on this show. And it's closed within 18 months because they oh, said it wasn't it wasn't even 18 months. But well, again, but I'm saying from the time they started with those barges in the middle of uh, of World Showcase Lagoon to it being closed at the end of the 50th anniversary. I'm being generous. Tim, th- this is astounding to me that this that they just said, yeah, this show failed. What a what an admirable thing. Kind of like we said earlier about Universal just saying, yeah, this show's over. Disney didn't have that in them, though. They said, oh, we're going to give you six more months of this show. Then Epcot Forever is coming back until we get the new show. And then they tried to play it off like it was only a 50th anniversary show anyway. There is, let me be clear about this, a 0% chance when this show was in the design phase that it was only meant for the 50th anniversary. There's a 0% chance that that was the intention of this show. And, And you know what the proof to me of that is? When they got those barges out there, after um, the test, some of the test stuff with the fountains, they found out that the force from shooting the fireworks off them and and the fountains that had to create the biggest water screens ever, uh, height-wise, basically they they pushed down too much into the water, moved around a little bit too much. So they went ahead and took the anchors out of the barges and secured them to the bottom of World Showcase Lagoon with uh, concrete pilings like yep. uh, support highway overpasses. Yep. So there is no way that if this was temporary, that after that after they were already in place, that they concreted them to the bottom of the lake 
if they were not planning on them being there for a very, very long time. So this is going to create a developing theme of things that replace things that we loved. Because the next couple on this list are, I think, on here based on what they replaced. It doesn't mean they weren't great anyway, because the next two on this list are junk. They are two of the biggest flops ever. Let's start, Tim. Let's go back to Tomorrowland. Let's go to Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland. And let's talk about the poorest use of an IP, a popular IP, that I've ever seen in a Disney park. That's not hyperbole. They took Lilo and Stitch, and the Stitch character in particular, and said, Chili Dogs, Trap, Spit. Yep, let's go with that. They took, arguably, one of the weirdest, cutest little creatures they've ever created in the last 25 years of animation, 30 years of animation, and said, we're going to turn him into the quasi-villain of an attraction. That's what they did with Stitch when they made Stitch's Great Escape, which, Tim, I will have you know, replaced the far ser- the far scarier, but the far less family-friendly Alien Encounter, which we've done hours on Alien Encounter on this show and how much we loved it and how much that's what's missing from Disney theme parks today. Maybe not that attraction, but that level of originality to say, hey, we're going to make this and it's going to be something entirely different. This Stitch's Great Escape is the most agonizing seven and a half minutes I've ever been a part of at a Disney theme park. And not only that, like, I get it. We, we've we talked Alien Encounter to death, but I, I just want to say, like, to this day, if, if, if you set Alien Encounter back up as it was, it is the most immersive experience yep. you could have in a theme park in 2023. The way it works, the the types of effects they use, the fact that it's not a screen thing, that it's all practical effects, incredible. I also understand that Disney is very much a family destination, Mm -hmm. and that attraction is utterly terrifying, even to adults. It it is one of the scariest experiences you can have in a theme park outside of like a nighttime ticketed Halloween Horror Nights type event. That said... Uh, Stitch's Great Escape replacing it, not only is the ride experience itself annoying, they, they went made the show, they took it from terrifying to annoying and, and unpleasant, it also didn't really solve any of the problems that they had with the previous attraction. It was still too terrifying for children because it used the exact same ride system. Functionally, all they did was change the audio track and instead of having a terrifying alien animatronic you catch glimpses of in the glass tube, it became a Stitch animatronic that you saw quite a bit more than the alien. But you still had liquids dripping on you, pressure on your body in various places, breathing effects, smells. It's just so it in just in toto, it was going to be scary to a kid who didn't understand what was going on and that it was fake and that there was not a stitch jumping on them in the pitch black. But for everybody else, it it's not scary anymore. It's just an experience that literally was made to be annoying on purpose. And and it's just an utter failure. And the people who liked Alien Encounter, which is most diehard theme park fans of that era, 
it probably was one of their favorite, if not their favorite attraction. It is still to this day my favorite attraction that's ever been at a theme park. And so it was insulting to their most engaged fans that they replaced it with this utter crap. Um, Tim, you said it best. In this day and age, Alien Encounter would be borderline untouchable. That had one of, if not the best, written backstory to an attraction. And the story it told, Chairman Clench, XS Tech, the robot, that was unequivocal, outside of it being terrifying, a perfect attraction. Yes, Tim completely, completely, completely agree. Freaking terrifying. It was the point of the attraction. The, the first version of it, Michael Isaac, I said, not scary enough, guys. Got to dial it up. Terrifying. Grown men terrified in this attraction. And now we get this. Like it, it, like you said, it was an annoyance to go on. Such as great. It was annoying to sit there. And the little kids were still terrified, like you said. Tim, I'm going to let you talk about the next one because ultimately you're a bigger NBA fan than I am. And also, so. I have experienced this uh insofar as i went in the gift shop one time for like 10 minutes because i wanted a celtics mickey pin uh guys that's right we're talking about in until star cruiser fails what i'm sure is the costliest flop um in in the history of walt disney world although i don't know if this was co-financed maybe by the nba so the financial hit could have been shared um this is what replaced Disney Quest. And we've talked again about Disney Quest at length. I know Bub and our former co-host Drew have a lot more deep connection to it and fonder feelings. I went once or twice to Disney Quest. It was fun. Um, towards the end, it was certainly showing its age, but that doesn't mean it couldn't have been updated. Instead, the building remained empty for a very, very long time. And it was announced it was going to be replaced with the NBA experience, which is kind of a basketball skills gym in the middle of Disney Springs that you pay, you know, buy packages per hour or per day and basically play basketball mini games. It was incredibly unclear uh, what the purpose was, why you would do that instead of literally anything else while you were there. I mean, if you're staying at all-star sports, you can just play actual basketball. Or if you booked a vacation package, uh, one of the benefits of the, the blue card you get with your reservation is, is free day passes, multiple free day passes to um, worldwide, uh, worldwide world of sports by ESPN. I mean, I, I, I don't know who this was for, what the target audience was. I don't know if they thought locals were going to come. I will say as an NBA fan, um, the gift shop was really cool. It had like all the officially licensed merchandise that you kind of usually have to be in the specific city to find something other than just like the big teams version of it. It had basically every piece of uh, official merchandise on sale in the huge gift shop version. But you you couldn't have paid me to step foot in the paid area because uh, I had no idea what it was. It was never clear. But Tim, if it had just been that, if it had just been a giant shopping destination with, a, dare I say, an NBA-themed restaurant, right? If that had been what it is, I still would have hated it, but I would have respected the cash grab. You just you just talked for two and a half minutes about the NBA experience, and I don't think any listener 
or myself or you is any closer to being able to describe what the hell this is. We sent Jay down to Disney World when he was doing the show with us four years ago, and he said there were a lot of balls bouncing around. That was his takeaway, and he was in the building and couldn't explain what the hell it was. I don't know what it was for. No one wants to go. It's 103 degrees. Dare I say, we're going to another baseball reference. This is a sandlot. You cannot play basketball when it's 200 degrees outside. You just can't do it. I don't care how cool it is inside. I'm not going to go build up a lather, jumping, you know, taking three-point jump shots like I'm in the NBA three-point competition. And at five, six and a half, Unless you're giving me a goddamn trampoline, I sure as hell can't do the dunk competition. So I don't know who this is for. I don't know what it was. If it had been a restaurant and a really huge gift shop, like you said, you see at the pro shops of all the major arenas where you can get custom jerseys made and stuff, it would have done gangbangers. It would still be open. But instead, it was trying to be a YMCA. Yeah, I know when Rachel and I were down there... um probably like 2019 ish uh the one time i actually went in the 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 store area it this was the time where they were basically giving away they had people out on the streets giving free passes to this to anybody who wanted them and and certainly not that many takers uh this one was closed down um this was i think uh disney's only time they were glad for covid because it gave them a, a, a graceful exit for this to basically say, hey, we don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. And, and having a bunch of indoor activities where you cardiovascularly exert yourself doesn't seem safe in a, in a respiratory disease pandemic. So um, if for the good of everybody, we're, we're shutting this thing down. Right. And uh, probably the shortest lived attraction of its size yeah. ever Maybe hard. I don't know how long time. Hard Rock Park down in South Carolina was open. Oh, that's that that one. takes the cake. I could do episodes on that, Tim. Uh, yeah, that, if you guys don't know about that, look at that really crazy stuff with Hard Rock Park down in South Carolina. But um, yeah, NBA dis- um, experience, almost just called NBA disaster because that's what it was. This has to be the costliest flop, at least currently. in Florida. Um, currently until, on this list and until galaxy until galactic star cruiser yeah. eventually closes really crazy that this was ever made and, and could not adequately, if, if they say, you know, if you can't explain something, um, in, in vacation or entertainment or theme parks, you know, in a one sentence pitch, it's probably a bad idea. And this, yep. uh, you know, to this day, no one, even the people involved really have any idea what this was supposed to right. be. This was all in the name of corporate synergy because ESPN and ABC have such a deal with the NBA that it was kind of going to be. And if even if that's what they did, Tim, what if they treated like an ESPN sports zone where they did live shows from there? And di- like there are so many things you could have done with this. And what we got was a, a train wreck of epic proportions. Dare I say, I mean, that's off color with all the issues happening in Ohio every time I turn the news on, but. Dare I say from one ridiculousness, Tim, to another that just today I found out you actually have experience with what I consider and many consider the worst Disney attraction ever created. Yep. Uh, Superstar Limo at DCA. Uh, My family went to Disney California Adventure either the first or second year it was open. Um because it was a new Disney park and we were taking a trip to California and my mom 
at the time was convinced that Magic Kingdom and Disneyland were the same thing. And we went to Disney World every year. So we only had one day in Anaheim. So uh, we she wanted to go to D- DCA 1.0, which uh, that could be this whole episode. Uh, Disney's California Adventure is really one of their crown jewel parks now. But for the first couple of years of its operation, it was really just a collection of train wrecks and Soren um, that has really grown into its own. But at the cost of billions and billions, three, $3.1 billion was the first revamp to it. I mean, um, they needed to do a lot. But this Superstar Limo didn't even make it to the end of what people refer to as Disney's California Adventure 1.0. Uh, it was a dark ride where you uh, were in a limousine shaped vehicle and it kind of just very cringily played off of Hollywood tropes where there was, I guess, yeah, there were animatronics um, with literally what looked like caricature faces of um, not even big celebrity. I mean, there were some of the hey, big celebrities Whoopi was time. there. Yeah, Whoopi I was saying was Whoopi there. was there, Drew you know? Carey was there, but there was right. also just like, Weirdly B and C list celebrities. Oh, I'm sorry. You were also supposed to be you were running from paparazzi, which is also in poor taste, considering what happened to Princess Di. I mean, in three years before this park opened. So, I mean, yeah, just uh, it, it, it the 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 animatronics. Look them up if you haven't seen them. They're they're horrifying. They literally look like you know the caricature artists that they have you know at the boardwalk or even at Disney parks. Um made 3D and then strapped onto a standard animatronic body. So, you know, Drew Carey, tiny body, giant head. Um, All the backgrounds, though, other than the celebrity animatronics, were just um, like wood cutouts, like flats, maybe with like a a door that hinged, opened and closed. Um, And yeah, just not a fun ride, extremely weird visuals. Uh, kind of a weird storyline to go with it and um, just just weird and bad and, and and always described as cringy in any um, any description of you read. There are ride throughs of this one if, if you want to look oh, it up yeah. on uh, yeah. on YouTube. Well, see, Tim, that's the thing. I think what they did, even making uh, riding go seek or, or whatever the Monsters, Inc. ride is that's there. They didn't really invest a ton of money. They took those cardboard cutouts or the, the wood cutouts and pretty much made them CDA agents where you're chasing Boo. It's better because the theming makes a little more sense. And the story is, I think we can call Monsters Incorporated a beloved franchise at this point. So there's a lot of goodwill built up from the characters. But even that ride is kind of a less than experience when you think about what could be with a Monsters, Inc. attraction. This unequivocally, though, Tim, Superstar Limo... I would love, and, and every time we do these types of episodes, we think of other ideas we could do. We've really never scratched the surface of California Adventure and the debacle that was 1.0. I think there's something to be had there. I think, again, we try to not be super, super negative anymore, but I think there's a way to tell that story in a, in a very fun way because they had to sink, like Tim said, billions of dollars 10 years after this park opened to pretty much down to the studs refurb it and and it's outside of california screaming and soren this this park was uh, 
just awful when it first opened. And this was the worst ride at a D minus level park. And that, that is, that is not good in any way, shape or form. Um, now, Bob, the next one you got on this list, I actually know nothing oh, about this. Boy, Tim, not are you in at luck. All. Boy, are you in luck. Because there is a town about three miles back that way that has a river. It's Providence. We do the little gondola rides when they light the water fire. That is a more interesting take on a river ride than the Discovery River Boats or the Radio Disney River Cruise at Animal Kingdom. So to keep in mind... When you see a mode of transportation at a Disney park, i.e. the train or or the monorail system, it, it, it goes somewhere. It goes from point A to point B. This ride literally went nowhere. It just went around the Tree of Life and back to whatever dock you started at. There was a dock in Safari Village and a dock in Asia as well. Tim, this had to be seen to be believed it was just literally so think of like when you were in, in, in grade school and they brought the little zoo mobile, they brought like a little iguana or a tarantula in a glass case and they walked it around the classroom or the school library, whatever you did when, where you were growing up. They, they did that here. They, they brought like iguanas, they brought little uh, insects and stuff. All oh, great for to be. Yeah. All great if I want to be an entomologist, but I don't want to be. So here we are. I'm sitting on a boat to nowhere that takes me from point A back to point A, doesn't get me from one end of the park to the other, which I can't stress enough, the biggest theme park in the world by square footage. I need to get from Safari Village to Harambe to catch my uh, 2 o'clock fast pass. Oh no, we're going to take you from Safari Village to, you guessed it, Safari Village. This boat to nowhere, they showed you small animals, the captain walked around, I think, for me, the problem with this is it was so poorly explained in the park literature, in the literature at the signs, that it was a round trip to nowhere. You went past the the, the Dragon Rock that's kind of outside of Pandora now. It was, uh, it was meant to be like a Beastly Kingdom teaser. The dragon blew fire out of its nose. And again, there's... We've done... Minutes, other than hours on what Beastly Kingdom was going to be, but we've done minutes, we've done at least a half hour or so on what Beastly Kingdom was going to be. I just, in a park that size, that you don't have a way to connect people from one end of the park to the other, when you literally had the capabilities, if you had built one dock in Africa, one dock near Mickey, near Camp Mini Mickey. You have the dock near Asia that would have covered. It was only two or three more docks you would have needed to have this boat ride. It would be in operation today if it was still if it was that way. Instead, it was a round trip to nowhere. And then after all of this, they take away the animals, and it's like uh, they put some wacky. AM radio DJ voiceover on it, and it became this radio Disney River Cruise, still to nowhere, playing shitty pop songs by Miley Cyrus before she was the least bit captivating. It was it Tim, this is on the list because you had the opportunity to make it the train, the Walt Disney World Railroad of Animal Kingdom, and instead I got to listen to Party in the USA. Sitting on a river 
with minimal shade, 200 friggin' degrees by mosquitoes. It's, I, 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 words can't express so, what so, this ride lacked. So to be clear, there was not like a dragon animatronic in a No, cave. it was the stone rock that spit fire. I was always under the impression that like the quote unquote payoff of this ride was that there was a dragon animatronic at some point that was supposed to tease that beastly kingdom was coming in phase two of anim kingdom. So, I think the rockhead is still there. I think if you go to a certain point on the river, you can see it. Um, and it, it's a giant, beautiful carving and it spit fire out its nostrils. And the idea was that the fire was that the dragon was in the cave and that's where it shot from first. Um, but you never saw said dragon. It was just a flamethrower. And then they just, it was the dragon head. It, listen, listen, that's not even my biggest, my biggest gripe is that you couldn't have added two more docks and made it a, a mode of transportation. Even the Skyway to Tomorrowland and the Skyway to Fantasyland went somewhere. It went from one end of the park to the other. This literally went from point A to point A. It was terrible. I, it served no purpose to that park whatsoever. And did I mention it's the biggest theme park in the world? It's ripe for something like this, Tim. Now, you know what you get? You get those cavalcades with the random pontoon boats with characters swinging by and so waving to you. That's what you get now. Hey, those That's are what... delightful. Those are delightful, Bob. Well, they're better than this, Tim. They're better than this. That sounds the, like it. Because I'm saying, the river boats are bad enough. When it went to that Radio Disney River cruise, that might have been the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. It was atrocious. The Oh, my God. I can't. I can't. Because I'm already fired up and we're going into what might be, um, dare I say, in the notes. Just so we're clear, I want to get this out of the way. What you call discovery, I call the rape of the natural world. That's Ian Malcolm. We're obviously, there's only one attraction that this comment could fall under. And it's clearly journeying into your imagination, Tim. What Journey the hell were they thinking? Your, uh, I, Tim, I, I am stressed having this episode now because of how irritating the riverboats were. And why we're, why these are back-to-back, -back, I have no idea. This, Tim, is the most egregious thing Disney's ever done. Because it was completely unnecessary. There, there's no reasonable... I've never heard an explanation for why this was done. Uh, the the guy who designed this ride and it was like his baby, yep. it, despite the fact that he's an elderly man now, oh, John Hedge, right? John Hedge. with the company to yep. let him come back and fix it for free. Yep. I, so he, here's the thing. We've wrestled with an imagination pavilion retrospective, a rise and fall of ECW style documentary of journey into imagination. Martin, uh, uh, Martin does a Martin's vids and Martin, right? I forget his Martin Martin's does, vids. does a great journey into imagination. Second only to probably his horizons video in terms of his his historical explanation. I can get over the whole, it cut the original traction in half. I won't be, I won't like it, but I can get over it. I can get over that it took away image works and the post show that was two levels into the pyramids that they wanted to make it a, a corporate lounge. I can get over that. I can deal with trying to make this a more accessible attraction for more people by cutting it in half. What I won't get over is you, you took a beloved figure in figment. You took a beloved figure in Dreamfinder, and you replaced them with Eric Idle. And Dr. Nigel Channing. 
Which, and again, if you're an Eric Idle fan, if you're a fan of Monty Python, that's great. This ain't it, sister. This ain't it. You took... Figment, to me, is Epcot. Tim, we've talked about that before. Oh, and at this point, Disney acknowledges it because they... I mean, Figment is, for all intents and purposes, the official mascot of Epcot. He is the feature on every festival's merch. Even if there's another character they're featuring for the festival, Figment's always going to be there. They're always going to have a new Figment shirt, a new Figment pin, new Figment merchandise for every single festival four times a year. Popcorn bucket. Meet and greet is coming. The popcorn bucket broke the internet. Disney popcorn bucket broke the internet. People waited eight hours in line to have the line get cut off trying to buy a popcorn bucket. And they took him out of the freaking ride. They genetted this attraction. They super kicked this attraction and then threw it through the barbershop window. Yeah. For our middle-aged wrestling fans, you're going to enjoy that reference. And I'm going to enjoy it right now too. They shone, they super kicked this attraction and threw it through the window. That's what they did. Tim, this, if it was, if, if, if they, if they didn't go back to journey into imagination with figment and, and write, hold on, quasi write the wrong for what they did to the imagination pavilion, because it's still a shadow of what it was. This would be the worst attraction on this list. Journey into your imagination took everything imaginative and creative and innovative about the imagination pavilion. Hell interesting about the imagination. And stripped it down all in the name, again, of corporate synergy, because there's a very loose tie to the uh, whatever the hell hosts Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, the, the Imagination Institute. or, or That was the, 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 the impetus for this, was that Honey, I Shrunk the Audience was a wildly popular show, and they're in the same building, and they wanted to continue it. And that's why they did it this way, allegedly. Okay? It's inexcusable and I, I i we are doing an imagination episode so i and that'll be that'll be adult rated because i will be very upset i i know this is the one that guy said i, I can't be there tonight but the only thing yep. i wanted to do was rant yes about journey into your imagination so when we do the imagination pavilion episode he will have his chance that 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 circle does not square though that sounds like some panicked PR person. Correct, it is. Having to give an explanation. Because that, that doesn't make sense. I've never heard a, a explanation for why this happened that made any kind of sense or even justified, like, why they did it. Because it's just unnecessary. It Otherwise, it would have just been a dark ride that they could have continued to maintain like they have to maintain every other dark ride in Walt Disney World. It it blows my mind to, to do what they did. That that ride used to be two levels. It was a 15 to 18 minute attraction. It was great. What a ride the original was with Dream. And and I'll tell you, we don't really touch on Dreamfinder that much. We do usually side on the on the side of, of, of Figment being the lost legend here. Make no mistake, Dreamfinder is as much a part of that equation as Figment is in terms of lost legends from this attraction. And I think really the Imagination Pavilion went downhill when Michael Jackson started sleeping with Macaulay Culkin and we had to get rid of Captain EO. That's where we lost the Imagination Pavilion. <laughs> but I'm going to move on to the, the only attraction that failed twice. It was that the, is <laughs> the Flying Saucers. Slash Luigi's flying tires over in 
<laughs> Disney's California Adventure again. This one, um, not really. This this one made it all the way to DCA 2.0 and, and beyond, right? Because this was this was technically a Cars Land attraction, yeah. right? So Flying Saucers was at Disneyland. It was open for like a year and a half in the 60s and 70s. And the technology wasn't right. It was like the big bumper car was like a floating bumper car. When they did the Cars Land expansion, John Hench had said, hey, uh, uh, John Hench, I think it was John Hench. He had said, hey, you know, I, 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 I'm working on this. And, and I really, I worked in Disneyland at Flying Saucers. We have an opportunity. The technology is there for us to bring back the Flying Saucer bumper car. And it's going to be Luigi's flying tires, which is fine. Now it's uh, Luigi something roundup. It's a it's car yeah. themed now. Uh, so this is technically it's a trackless. Still it's a trackless outdoor ride. It's very cool. Um, right. And, and, and a super fun little ride. Right. So but, but to understand flying saucers, it literally was like bumper boats without the water or bumper cars without the grease and anger. So to me. This is one of those that I honestly didn't hate the concept, Tim. This is one of those that I, I I do feel like if the technology ever caught up, it'd be a really cool concept. But for you to fail 50 years ago and then fail 10 years ago with the same technology, you have to be on the list of flops because I, I think the intent is nice. I like the concept. But the execution, again, just has never been there for this attraction. And and what aspect of the technology wasn't there? Because it, it doesn't – I don't I, – I know this always appears on these, you know, lists of the worst attractions or Disney's biggest failures and stuff. But what – it doesn't seem like that complex of an attraction. So what about it caused it to fail Well, in the early 2000s? So I want to say it's throughput. And it's maintenance. So if you think about an air hockey table, this is the best way and probably the most accessible way for any of us to think about this. If you think about an air hockey table that gets its air jets uh, coagulated or, or, or filled with dust and, and the puck doesn't move and it gets stuck in certain parts of the table, uh, that's what happens here. It's such an air-based thing that occasionally, very much like regular bumper cars, you get stuck in a corner. That's not a great attraction. I can do that at a carnival if I want to. This ride aesthetically is much cooler now with the car design and, and the trackless layout. But the I, I think it was a matter of the air pressure, the the not always being able to support the hovering portion of it. And uh, again, you hate to say it's a bean counter thing. Capacity was worse than the teacups. Worse than a carousel, the capacity on this was atrocious. I want to say low hundreds for hourly capacity. And again, it, it just it there's something about the idea of the the best way that that giant air hockey table where there's dead spots in the air jets, so you can't. It's just it's it's a lot. It doesn't seem like a lot, but there's a lot of kind of moving parts per se that need to be 100% right for this attraction to work. And it's one that they've, again, and I, do you want to go to Disney World and do a bumper boat or a bumper car? I mean, because that's really, in essence, what this is. Got it, got it. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so now we're to the last one on the list, and I, I don't think we certainly did not save the worst from last. And honestly, I think this is the least egregious. 100%, I agree um, with that. I, I put this one on the list, and it's Primeval Whirl at... Um, 
Disney's Animal Kingdom in Dino Land. And I'm not going to approach from the angle of, oh, it could have been something so much better. Uh, it was a, just a wild mouse roller coaster with spinning cars. The, the reason I consider this such a failure is there's basically three and a half engineering firms that design 99% of the roller coasters in the world. And for whatever reason, Disney did not use one of those firms for this roller coaster and instead bought an off-the-shelf wild mouse roller coaster with spinning cars from some French engineering firm that then immediately proceeded to go bankrupt and then did not get bought in their bankruptcy. Therefore, Disney could not get any repair parts for virtually the entire life of this ride. So they they anytime this ride needed fixes, they had to make the parts in-house or contract them out and kind of reverse engineer solutions, which I don't know how many of those there were. I mean, there's certainly wear and tear on the lifts and stuff. And it was a spinning coaster. So there was, you know, a little bit more of an element of, of, of wear and tear than normal Wild Mouse. Um, that said, it, it, you know, it was not a popular attraction. It was not a particularly fun ride. I mean, are you going to go on the Primeval World roller coaster in the same park that has Everest? Um which just seems crazy. Um, and then ultimately um, it, it got shut down uh, for repairs and whatever part was missing or broken, they were not able to uh, repair or replace uh, or fabricate or repair in a timely manner. And then the entire ride uh, got infested with bees. Uh, the, the tubes got full of hornet's nests, Florida, Florida hornet or wasp nests. Um, so nobody wanted to then go onto the ride and fix it by the time because there'd be even more bees by the time they had the part. And uh, they just decided for the good of everybody that they would um, take the cars off the track and kind of build a wall around it. And then uh, as of this year, they or last year, they, uh, you know, took it apart and God bless whoever had to do it. At that point, I'm sure it was completely full of bees. I'm not sure what they did to uh, mitigate that when they had to disassemble the track. And, and and now this thing is gone. And that the fact that it's gone with no intent to replace it. So Dino Land is now um, Triceratops Spin Dinosaur, which doesn't even really need to be part of the carnival thing now. And uh, the Chester and Hester games, when they're actually running... I think points heavily to what we were talking about in the news segment that that Dino Land is is not long for this world. I mean, I know they kind of soft announced possible rethemes for it, but I, I don't think we're we're terribly far away from the completion of Epcot's refurb till we see uh, the Dino Land refurb announced. This is one of those Tim that we've talked about engineering issues with rocket rods. We've talked about who made the decision to you know pillage imagination and and we've had a lot of fun they made a lot of jokes at other people's expense here uh, on this we, we talked about the attraction to nowhere in animal kingdom this doesn't belong in the same category it, it really doesn't like you said the, the whole purchase process from the fr- like i'm dying for the day that we got a rocky mountain coaster at Animal Kingdom because I think it's just so ripe that landscape the wood 
um, steel hybrid coaster that Rocky Mountain does now, I think just would kill at Animal Kingdom. It, you could build it into the landscape. It would be incredible. Uh, Primeval World's unfortunate because it really it held together that very loose carnival theming of Chester and Hester's Dinorama, which we've talked about. Uh, and we've talked about the understory the background story of Dino Land on this show and how I think you've even felt to the point where if something is that esoteric and un- un- unaccessible that they've failed at their job to really tell that story uh, because we had some deep cuts on that episode. Oh, so yeah. For I me, mean, if you if you really delve into some of the stuff that Rody has talked about, like, oh, well, the pavement is all cracked and shitty looking specifically in that carnival area. That's on purpose. Like yeah. the, the pavement's not repaired because – you know, that happens when you set a carnival up season after season, and then it's empty in the winter. And then, you know, when the the asphalt is soft in the summer and the rides go on it, it it causes it to damage faster than, you know, normal road surface. And it's just like, these are, these are things that no one asked for and no one is looking for. And it, when you find it out, it's just like a, a trivia fact that you can tell your friends as you walk by the uh, primeval world on your way to dinosaur to uh, feel smart. But Tim really at the end of the day, I think you said it best. This is the least egregious of the attractions on this list. They made some interesting choices by, you know, buying it from who they bought it from instead of having it made or, and then the bees, I remember the bees, Andrew loved the bees. He loved that. He adored that story. We blame bees everything for a year on this podcast. We didn't record an episode of the bees. We, that was I our go. Bees. That was that was our excuse for for a year. Was was bees. So uh, th- that's it, though, folks. That's our uh, nine or so. I mean, we did go on some tangents there uh, of our biggest Disney parks flops. Uh, you'll notice exempt from this list was foreign attractions. Again, there aren't many flops in Tokyo, and that's really the only park that we have actual experience with so if you have other ones you think we missed from foreign lands please let us know i i know that we talked about disneyland paris potentially or euro disney before it became disneyland paris getting its own episode as well similar to california adventure uh how bad that park was when it first opened uh, so if you have any questions comments or concerns about this or any of our previous episodes please feel free to reach out to us at the disney guys uncensored at gmail.com and if you like what you hear, the best way to support us is to just tell a friend to listen as well. Thanks for listening to Disney Guys Uncensored. Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes of Rolly Crump and now apparently a Disney California Adventure retrospective. Good night, Ohana. Good night.